Hey, what's up, guys? Vigilant Texan here. I got a great video for y'all today. Very interesting one. A little bit longer than my average video, but hopefully you will stick around for the climactic ending. This is Abraham versus Nimrod, the ultimate battle of good versus evil. And here is a picture of Nimrod depicted in ancient architecture. He was one of the most influential characters of basically all time. Um, first off, we're going to take a look at what Genesis has to say about the guy. We're going to take a look at uh, the what we get from the canon, and then we're going to take into look at uh, the book of Jasher. If you've never read the book of Jasher, um, it the book of Jasher, the book of Jubilees, and the book of Enoch, I believe, were um, should be in our canon, and they were originally. And I believe the only reason they were taken out was because of stories like this. Uh, the enemy does not want us to know what he's up to. Does not want us to know how to defeat him and what to look forward to in the end. That's part of why Enoch was taken out. Um, so, anyways, uh, Jasher, Enoch, Jubilees, all of them were uh, alluded to and mentioned in the. Uh, the canonized scripture so we know that the people who wrote our scriptures were familiar with these books and they read them so to me if they read them and they thought they were legitimate enough to mention that means we probably would not do bad to read them as well um, so let's get right into it first looking at Genesis this is from Genesis 10 8 13 and Cush begot Nimrod he began to be a mighty one in the earth he was a mighty hunter before Yahweh, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before Yahweh. So apparently there was a saying about him because he was so famous. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalnah in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh in the city of Rehoboth and Kalah and resin between Nineveh and Kalah, the same as a great city. So let's break down from Nimrod's first mention and see what we can learn by doing some esoteric research into the names of the cities he built in the scripture. So the, na the name Nimrod actually means to rebel. And uh, I got these most of these meanings here from uh, if you go and get these uh, Hallelujah scriptures. These are a great copy of the scriptures. It's basically the same translation as the ISR, but just with even more Hebrew in there, like even more words that, that mean Hebrew. And when you get this, it comes with this name meaning book because there's, it uses nothing but Hebrew names. So a lot of times you're thinking, well, what is this name? And this little book that goes with it just helps you with the meanings. And you can also look up these names and these meanings in the Strong's uh, Concordance, and you'll get... Um, very similar or exactly the same definition. So the name Nimrod means to rebel. Um, Babel, which was his first city, means confusion. Erech means to prolong or disperse. Okay. Akkad means a great fortress or battle. Kalna means consumed. Shinar means of two rivers. Asher means straight. Nineveh means abode of Nimrod or the great eagle. Rehoboth means expanses, Kalah means completion and full age, and Rezin equals the bridle. So if you go down in order, to rebel, to cause confusion, to prolong or to disperse, a great fortress or battle consumed of two rivers, straight abode of the Nimrod or great eagle, expanses, completion and full age, the bridle. So we can learn a lot from that little section 
by looking at the meanings of the names, even though there's not a lot about Nimrod in that section. Now let's look at the words used to describe Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in, in the earth. He was mighty hunter before Yahweh, where it is said even as Nimrod the mighty hunter. So they used that word mighty three times. Now let's if we look that up in the Hebrew, it's 1368, Gibor, or Gibor. And we find a very similar word used for giants. In fact, giant or giant mighty man is listed in the definitions for Gabor. And the way that works is with Strong's, when they look at the different meanings of a word, if the word was used in the scripture to mean one thing, then that meaning gets listed in the strong. So for instance, if Gabor at any point was used to mean giant, well then they're gonna list giant in here as a meaning of Gabor, you understand what I'm saying? So here is, uh, that actually comes from 1397, uh, which is Gibura Burr, Gibur Properly, a valiant man or warrior, a person simply, everyone, a, a man, being mighty, okay? But then that comes from 1396, so we have a, a series of words here being built upon, and that 1396 is Gabor Instead of Gabor Gaber, it's Gabor Gabor, a primitive root to be strong, to prevail, to act insolently, to confirm, be great, be mighty, prevail. Okay, so now let's take a look to a deeper esoteric level and let's look at the other places that the same Hebrew word or root word was used to see the context. So what we're going to do is look for those mentions of those Strong's words and see in the scripture where we may be able to pull some more meaning of Nimrod from that. Here's from Daniel 11.3, And a mighty king shall stand up that will rule over great dominion and do according to his will. His will, okay. And here's from Judges, And there came an angel of Yahweh and sat under the oak, which was Ophrah, and pertaineth unto jo Joash. His son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress. And he, the angel of Yahweh, appeared unto him and said unto him, Yahweh is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my master, if Yahweh be with us, then... Why then is all this befallen us? So right there it was used for a man of valor for Gideon. So we have, he was a, being used twice there as a king and a warrior, which is true, Nimrod was a king and a warrior. And then here from Isaiah, we see the mighty man and the man of war, the prophet and the prudent, the ancient, the captain of 50, the honorable man, the counselor, the cunning artifact, the eloquent orator. So there he was a warlord, sounds like. Then here's from Psalm 52. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of El endureth continually. Thy tongue devises mischief like a sharp razor, working deceitful. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Thou, excuse me, thou loveth all devouring words, and thou deceitful tongue. Lo, this is the man that made not Elohim his strength, and trusted in the abundance of his riches, and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Doesn't it sound like David there is writing directly about Nimrod? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't think Nimrod was still around when David reigned. Uh, in fact, I don't, I'm pretty sure he wasn't, unless it was like some sort of reincarnated version of him. Uh, because also from Jasher, we see that Esau killed him later. 
but that does mean that he lived since before Abraham till Esau, so that's that's a really long time, which would also lean to the fact that he was becoming a mighty man. And then here from Deuteronomy, it was used one more time. For Yahweh your Elohim is, is Elohim of Elohim and sovereign of sovereigns, a great El, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loveth the stranger and giveth him food and raiment. So the word mighty there was used to describe Yahweh himself. So something like a God, an El, you know, a very mighty, powerful being, okay? Um, so here let's read what the book of Genesis says about the Tower of Babel. And the whole earth was one language and one speech, and it came to pass, as they journeyeth from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime they had for mortar, and they said, Go to, and let us build a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And Yahweh said, Behold, the people is one, and they have one language, and this they begin to do, this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confounded their languages, and they might not understand one another's speech. So Yahweh scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because Yahweh did there confound the language of the earth, and from thence did Yahweh scatter them abroad unto the face of the earth. So, wow, that's very little information, really. This is why we're going to go to the book of Jasher, because it gives way more detail on um, you know, this whole story with Nimrod, and then we're even going to find out how he deals with Abraham, or Abram at the time. So let's start in Jasher chapter 7. Now we're going to be covering a lot of Jasher here. Hopefully um, you guys will like the story and stick around. I think it's one of the greatest kind of untold stories of the scripture because Abraham obviously was a major, major character in the canonized version of our scripture, you know, like the regular 66 books that the King James would have or your normal translations. But there's just so much more, more information here and such a richer story than Jasher. So... We're going to start kind of in the middle of chapter 7. And Cush, the son of Ham, the son of Noah, took a wife in those days in his old age, and she bare a son, and they called his name Nimrod, saying, At the time the sons of men again began to rebel and transgress. See? So it's saying they named him Nimrod, and at the time they began to rebel, which is what his name means and transgress against Elohim. And the child grew up, and his father loved him exceedingly, for he was the son of his old age. And the garments of skin which Yahweh made for Adam and Eve, his wife, when they went out of the garden, were given to Cush. Now this is a key little part here that may help us to understand why he became a mighty man. You know, maybe these garments had some sort of special power, or maybe it was because he got these garments, he was enamored into thinking there was some special power, or who knows, maybe because of the way he got these garments, they were even, you know, some sort of way for him to be possessed by like an evil spirit or something. But we have this mention of the garments which Yahweh made for Adam and his wife. Okay, and after the death of Adam and his wife, the garments were given to Enoch, the son of Jared. And when Enoch was taken up to Elohim, so he gave them to Methuselah, his son. 
And at the death of Methuselah, Noah took them and brought them to the ark, okay? And they were with him until he went out of the ark. So now we see how this evil spirit may have survived the flood. Maybe. This is just a theory. And in their goings out, Ham stole those garments from Noah, his father, and took them and hid them from his brothers. And when Ham begat his firstborn Cush, he gave him the garments in secret, and they were with Cush many days, but he didn't wear them. And Cush also concealed them from his sons and brothers, and when Cush begat, begot Nimrod, he gave him those garments through his love for him. And Nimrod grew up, and when he was 20 years old, he put on those garments. Okay. And Nimrod became strong when he put on the garments, and Yahweh gave him might and strength, and he was a mighty hunter in the earth. Yea, he was a mighty hunter in the field, and he hunted the animals, and he built altars, and he offered upon them the animals before Yahweh. And Nimrod strengthened himself, and he rose up from amongst his brethren, and he fought the battles of his brethren against all their enemies round about. And Yahweh delivered all the enemies of his brethren in his hands, and Elohim prospered him from time to time in his battles, and he reigned upon the earth. So as we can see here, he started off having Yahweh's favor. And it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't stay that way. Therefore, it became current in those days when a man ushered forth those that he had trained up for battle, he would say to them, like Yahweh did to Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter in the earth and who succeeded in battles and prevailed against his brethren. So once again, it became like a saying, which was mentioned from Genesis. So there's a parallel we have there that there was some sort of saying that went with this act of being like Nimrod. <coughs> Excuse me. And when Nimrod was 40 years old at the time he was a war between his brethren and the children of Japheth. And they were in power of their enemies. And Nimrod went forth at that time and assembled all the sons of Cush and their families, about 460 men, and he hired some of his friends and acquaintances, about 80 men, and he gave them their hire and went with them to battle. And he was on the road. Nimrod strengthened the hearts of the people that went with him. So he was a, he was a motivator. He was a... a a striking leader he would want to follow. I, I imagine him being at least seven or eight foot tall. Uh, anyway, and he said to them, Do not fear, do not be alarmed, for our enemies will be delivered under our hands, and you may do with them as you please. So now he's starting to get kind of drunk with power. He's saying that he knows these people are going to be delivered to him, and then you can do whatever you want, which is, we will never hear Yahweh say you can do really as you please. It's always, here's what you should do, and here's what you shouldn't do. It's you know, because as we know, there's a way which seems right in the eyes of man, which seems like the right thing to do, but in reality is at enmity with the Father. And so here he is becoming a tyrant. He took some of their children's security, made them serve him. Okay, and when Nimrod had joyfully returned from the battle and having conquered his enemies, all his brethren together with those who knew him before, assembled to make him king over them and placed a regal crown on his head. So now he becomes king. And he set over his subjects and people, princes, judges, and rulers, and that, and as is the custom amongst kings. And he placed Terah, the son of Nahor, the prince of his host, and dignified him and elevated him above all his princes. So here we find the mention of Terah, the son of Nahor. And if you read your scripture and you know Genesis, you'll, you, that'll ring a bell. You'll be like, oh, Terah, that was Abram's father, right? And whilst he reigned according to his heart's desire, key here, according to his heart's desire, after having conquered all his enemies around, he advised with his council to build a city for his place, and they did so. 
And they found a large valley to the east, and they built a large and expansive city, and they called the name of this city he built Shinar, for Yahweh had vehemently shaken his enemies and destroyed them, not yet, but soon. And Nimrod dwelt in Shinar, and he reigned securely, and he fought with his enemies and subdued them, and prospered in all his battles, and his kingdoms became very great. And all nations and tongues heard of his fame, and they gathered themselves to him, and they bowed down to the earth. And they brought him offerings, and he became their lord and king. And they all dwelt with him in the city of Shinar, and Nimrod reigned over in, reigned in the earth over all the earth, and they were all under his power and counsel. And all the earth was of one tongue and words of union. But Nimrod did not go in the ways of Yahweh, okay? And he was more wicked than all men that were before him from the days of the flood until those days. So <laughs> he's really gone from bad to worse. Now he's the most wicked man since the flood all of a sudden. From, from having Yah's favor at the beginning, now he's just being a rebel like his name says. And he made gods of wood and stone and he bowed down to them. The worst sin pretty much you can do. The first commandment he decides to start breaking. And then he taught all his subjects and the people of the earth to do these same wicked ways. And then his son was even more wicked than him. And this is how we get the saying that from wicked go forth wickedness. And it became a proverb in the whole earth, saying, From wicked goeth forth wickedness. So apparently this was a thing they would say, From the wicked goeth forth the wickedness, because of this son he had and how terrible he was. And Terah, the son of Nahor, prince of Nimrod's host, was in those days very great in the sight of the king and his subjects. And the king and princes loved him, and they elevated him very high. And Terah took a wife, and her name was Amphelo the daughter of Cornabo, and the wife of Terah, conceived and bare him a son in those days. Terah was seventy years old when he begot him, and Terah called the name of his son that was born to him Abram, because the king had raised him in those days and dignified him above all the princes that were with him. So, to me this is kind of similar to the secession of King Saul to King David. You know, Yahweh kind of picks a king, elevates him to king, but then when the king turns from his ways and decides to do what he wants, Yahweh quickly finds a replacement king that's of his own heart. You know, he tries, you know, a mighty king who's mighty in the eyes of everyone else, but of course, power, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and just like Saul, Nimrod becomes a terrible leader, and so Yahweh has to bring forth a leader of his own heart. Now here from chapter 8, the birth and hiding of Abram. And it was in that night that Abram was born, and all the servants of Terah and all the wise men and his conjurers came and ate and drank in the house of Terah, and they rejoiced, and everyone was happy. But when the wise men and conjurers went out from the house, they lifted up their eyes towards the heaven, and they looked at the stars. And they saw, and behold, one very large star came from the east and ran in the heavens, and he swallowed up the four stars from the four sides of the heavens. This is eerily like the story when the birth of, of the Messiah comes and the wise men follow the star and follow it to where he's at, okay? Once again, they see in the... Also, we also hear from this when Moses is born, same thing. Pharaoh, his wise men say they saw a star and it looked like from what the star and the skies were saying that there was going to be this, you know, person born that had just been born that was going to take over. So this this is... If, if you add this in to the other two scriptural accounts that say that, well, now we have three times that they were able to look in the sky and find this Savior that's coming that's been born, okay? I'm, 
I'm constantly, as we're reading through Jasher here, trying to show you that that it's canon, that this is scripture, because the way it's written, the way it's worded, the way it tells the story, it all matches up with scripture, all of it. None of it contradicts Genesis, and it, and it all falls right in there. And all the wise men of the king and his conjurers were astonished at the sight, and the sages understood this matter, and they knew its importance. And they said to each other, This only betokens the child that's been born to terror this night, who will grow up and be fruitful and multiply and possess all the earth, he and his children forever, and he and his seed will slay great kings and inherit their lands. Is that talking about Yehoshua and his armies who take back the promised land, or Joshua is our scripture? Uh, you know, uh, if you've been watching my videos, I talk about you know Joshua being a type shadow of Messiah and how they go and take back the promised land after they cross the Jordan. So here is a prediction of that happening. So there you go, another place it matches up. So then they tell Nimrod about this. We'll skip a few verses here. And the king heard their words, and they seemed good in his sight. And he sent and called for Terah, and Terah came before the king. I put Gilgamesh in here because of this thing that happens. And the king said to Terah, I have been told that there was a son was yesternight born to thee, and after his manner was observed in the heaven. The reason why I put Gilgamesh in there is because in in the book of if you don't if you haven't heard Nimrod one of his names was Gilgamesh and if you read the story of Gilgamesh he is a mighty warrior he's a mighty king but he's not that smart and you'll see a couple times in this story he goes and asks for the the counsel of of his elders and stuff meaning you know he couldn't really make the decision himself we're going to see that a few times and the king said to Terah I've been told that I, okay yeah and now therefore give me that child that I may slay him before his evil springs up against us, and I will give thee for his value thy house full of silver and gold. Now here we're going to see Terah <laughs> making a very, very good little move here that aggravates the king. Okay, this is good. And Terah answered the king and said unto him, My lord and king, I have heard thy words, and thy servant shall do all that his king desireth. But, 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 check this out, king. My lord and king, and they keep calling him this, and Lord means Baal in Babel, I mean in, in Hebrew. So just this is what they call the guy, Lord. This is what we should not be calling Yahweh that. Because that's the title for a guy like Nimrod. And I will tell thee what happened to me yesternight. But first, let me see what advice the king will give his servant, and then I will answer the king upon what he has just spoken. And the king said, Speak. Okay, so he says, Hold up, king. I'll answer you, but first let me ask you a question and see what you think. And Terah said to the king, This guy, Aion, the son of Morad, came to me yesternight, saying, Give unto me the great and beautiful horse that the king gave thee. So apparently Nimrod had given him some great and beautiful horse, because he liked him or whatever. And I will give thee three silver and gold, and straw and provender for its value. And I said unto him, Wait till I see the king concerning thy words, and behold, whatever the king saith, that I will do. And now, my lord and king, behold, I have made these things known to thee, and the advice which my king will give unto his servant, that I will follow. And the king heard the, word, heard the words of Terah, and his anger was kindled, and he considered him in the light of a fool. <laughs> and the king answered Terah, and he said unto him, Art thou so silly, ignorant, and deficient in understanding to do this thing, to give that beautiful horse for silver and gold, or even for straw and provender? Like, are you so stupid, this beautiful horse I gave you, to give him for this? 
Art thou so short of silver and gold that thou shouldest do this thing, because thou cannot obtain straw and provender to feed thy horse? What is silver and gold to thee, and straw and provender, that thou shouldest give away the fine horse which I gave thee, like which there is none to be had on the whole earth? <laughs> and the king left off speaking, and Terah answered the king, saying, Like unto this has the king spoken to his servant, like, Hello, you thought that was a silly thing to ask? Well, I beseech thee, my lord and king, what is, it, what is this which thou didst say unto me, saying, Give thy son, which thou mayst slay him, and I will give thee silver and gold for his value. What shall I do with the silver and gold after the death of my son? Who shall inherit me? Surely then at my death the silver and gold will return to my king who gave it. And when the king heard the words of Terah, and the parable which he brought concerning the king, it grieved him greatly, and he was vexed at this thing, and his anger burned within him. Of course, he just got called out and, and made a fool in front of the, you know, whoever was there by Terah. But what a stupid suggestion that was that you just pay me for my son. But Terah, and Terah saw the anger of the king was kindled against him, and he answered, saying, All that I have is in thy king's power. Whatever the king desires to do to his servant, that let him do. Yea, even my son, he's in the king's power without value in exchange. He and his two brethren are older than he. And the king said to Terah, No, but I will purchase the younger son for a price. And Terah answered the king, saying, I beseech thee, my lord and king, let thy servant speak a word before thee, and let the king hear the words of his servant. And Terah said, Let my king give me three days' time till I consider this matter within myself, and consult with my family concerning the words of my king. And he passed the king greatly to agree to this. And the king hearkened unto Terah, and he did so, giving three days' time. And Terah went out from the king's presence, and he came home to his family and spoke to them all the words of the king, and the people were greatly afraid. So, since he realized that making the king look like a fool really just burned him up and, and got him even more at, angry, he said, you know what, just, I tell you what, hold on before we make any decisions here. Give me three days and I'll talk with my people, okay? And it was in the third day that the king sit, sent to Terah, saying, send me thy son for a price as I spoke to thee, and shouldest thou not do this, I will send and slay all thou hast in thy house, so that shall not even have a dog remaining. So then he comes with the big threat, give me your son or I'll kill you all. Terah hastened, as the thing was urgent from the king, and he took a child from one of his servants, which his handmaid had borne unto him that day. And Terah bought the, brought the child to the king and received value for him. So he pulls a little fast one here. He gets, he gets one of the children from his handmaid and brings that one instead. And the Lord was with Terah in this matter. And Nimrod, oh, that Nimrod might not cause Abram's death. And the king took the child from Terah with all his might, dashed his head to the ground, for he thought it had been Abram. And this was concealed from him from that day, and and it was forgotten by the king, and it was the will of the providence not to suffer Abraham, Abram's death. So, he, he gets the child that he think is Abram, and he took the child from Terah with all his might, dashed his head in the ground, for he thought it had been Abram. So what a violent, you know, bloodthirsty king. He just grabbed the child and just splats his head on the ground, you know, oh, despicable. So Terah took Abram his son secretly, together with his mother and nurse, and he concealed them in the cave, and he brought them their provisions monthly. So he hides them in a cave and starts bringing them food. And Elohim was with Abram in the cave, and he grew up, and Abram was in the cave ten years, so till he about ten years old. And the king and his princes, soothsayers and sages, thought that the king had killed Abram. So everyone's fooled by this, all right? So then we move to chapter 9. Abram waxes exceedingly mighty under Noah and Shem's tutelage. This is a great thing we don't get to hear about 
in the Genesis story that's rather important. And Haran, the son of Terah, Abram's oldest brother, took a wife in those days, and Haran was 39 years old when he took her, and the wife of Haran conceived and bare a son, and they called his name Lot. So what do you know? That matches up with Genesis 2. And she conceived again and bare a daughter and called her name Milka. What do you know? That matches up too. And again conceived and bare a daughter and called her name Sarai. So here we have matches right up. Haran was 42 years old when he, when he begat Sarai, which was in the 10th year of the life of Abraham. So what do you know? That matches up perfectly because Abraham was 10 years older than Sarai. And in those days, Abraham and his mother and nurse went out from the cave and as the king and his subjects had forgotten of the affair of Abram. And when Abram came out of the cave, yay, a train goes by. <sighs> Sorry, I live right by uh, railroad tracks. He went to Noah and his son Shem. So when Abram came out of the cave, he went to Noah and his son Shem, and he remained with them to learn the instructions of Yahweh and his ways. And no man knew where Abram was, and Abram served Noah and Shem and his son for a long time. And Abram was in Noah's house 39 years. And Abram knew Yahweh from three years old, and he went in the ways of Elohim until the days of his death, as Noah and his son Shem had taught him. And all the sons of the earth in those days greatly transgressed against Yahweh, and they rebelled against him, and they served other gods, and they forgot Yahweh who created them in the earth. And the inhabitants of the earth made unto themselves at that time every man his god, gods of wood and stone, which could neither speak hear nor deliver the sons of men served them and they became their gods here's a little excerpt from Genesis 12:4. so Abraham departed as Yahweh had spoken unto him and Lot went with him and Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran so that would have given him plenty of time to have all this other stuff happen you know that the story of Abram kind of just picks up when Abram's already old in Genesis and really leaves out all this good information so that's part of the reason why I'm bringing this here for y'all today let's continue on and the king and all his servants and Terah with all his household were from were then the first of those that served gods of wood and stone and Terah and the twelve gods of had twelve gods of large size made of wood and stone after the twelve months of the year sound familiar and he served each one monthly, and every month Terah would bring his meat offering and drink offering to the gods. Thus did Terah all his days. Does that sound familiar? Twelve gods, one for each month. Oh, man. Where do the names of our months and days come from, right? Greek and Egyptian gods. Wow. And all that generation were wicked in the sight of the Lord. And they thus made every man his god, but they forsook the Lord who had created them. And there was not a man found in those days. And I just realized that I was trying to fix something. I'm sorry, guys. I was trying to go in here and replace Yahweh. I mean, replace the Lord with Yahweh. Because this translation, obviously, was just a, uh, a plain one from a sacred text, I believe. You can find the Book of Jasher and the Book of Jubilees for free online. If you haven't read them, I suggest you read them. But... They all they don't have the sacred names of the father and son in them, so I just kind of went in and, and replaced them myself, but obviously I missed a few there, sorry. But anyway, And there was not a man found in those days in the whole earth who knew Yahweh, for they served each man his own God. Hmm. Sounds kind of like today. Nobody really knows the true father and son. They're all just kind of serving their own idea of what they think God would be like and not just going by what the scripture says. 
except Noah in his household, and all those who were under his counsel, meaning Abraham, knew Yahweh their Elohim in those days. So we're seeing a separation here. And Abram the son of Terah was waxing great in those days in the house of Noah, and no man knew it, and Elohim was with him. And Yahweh gave Abram an understanding heart, and he knew all the works of the generation were vain, and that all their gods were vain and were of no avail. So here, we're going to skip to the story of Babel, and it's an interesting picture of the Tower of Babel there. We really have no idea what it looked like, because most of it was destroyed. And King Nimrod reigned securely over all the earth, and what was under his control, and all the earth was of one tongue and words of union. And all the princes of Nimrod and his great men took counsel together, puts Mitzrayim, Cush, and Canaan with their families. Now that Mitzrayim, that's that's Egypt in Hebrew. So we've got basically here that Nimrod kind of was like the, the father of all the mystery religions. Like out of Nimrod came Egyptian you know, mythology, Sumerian mythology, Greek mythology, and that's part of what happened here at the Tower of Babel. They confounded the tongues, and everyone kind of took this story into their own language. And you see these same themes, you know, in all the other religions of the world. And they all went before the king, and they told the king these words, and the king agreed with them, and he did so. And so all the families assembled, consisting of about 600,000 men, and they went to seek an extensive piece of ground to build this city and tower. And they sought in the whole earth, and they found none like one valley at the east of the land of Shinar, about six days' walk. And they journeyed there and dwelt there, and they began to make bricks and burn fires to build the city and the tower they had imagined to complete. And the building of the tower was unto them a transgression and a sin, and they began to build it. And whilst they were building against Yahweh of heaven, they imagined in their hearts to war against him and to ascend unto heaven. And all these people and all the families divided themselves into three parts. The first said, we will ascend into heaven and fight against him. The second said, we will ascend into heaven and place our own gods there and serve them. And the third part said, we will ascend into heaven and smite him with bows and spears. And God knew all their works and all their evil thoughts. Again, I, I missed one. And Elohim knew all their works and all their evil thoughts, and he saw the city and the tower which they were building. And when they were building, they built themselves a great city and a very high and strong tower. And on account of its height and mortar and bricks did not reach the builders in their ascending to it, until those who went up had completed a full year. And after that, they reached to the builders and gave them the mortar and bricks, Thus it was done daily. So what we're seeing here is that you got the people at the top building it. And at the bottom, they're making the bricks. And so people would grab a handful of bricks or a couple bricks or whatever. And apparently they had to walk an entire year to get to the top to hand the bricks to the people that were building. So this thing was massively huge. And when they were building, they themselves a great city and a very high and strong tower. And on account of the height, the, oh, I just read that. Whoops. And behold, these ascended, and the others descended the whole day. And if a brick should fall from their hands and get broken, they would all weep over it. But if a man fell and died, none of them would look at him. So they're so obsessed with building this tower that they would rather have one of the workers die than for one of these sacred bricks not to make it up to get to the spot where they were building. So these people are just really being totally bamboozled and led, led astray by Nimrod and his powerful gift of persuasion. 
And Yahweh knew their thoughts, and it came to pass when they were building, they cast arrows towards the heaven, and the arrows, and all the arrows fell upon them with blood. And when they saw them, they said to each other, Surely we have slain all those that are in heaven, for this was from Yahweh, in order to cause them to err, in order to destroy them from off the face of the ground. And they built the tower in the city, and they did this thing daily until many days and years were elapsed. And Elohim said to the seventy angels who stood foremost before him, to those who were near to him, saying, Come, let us descend and confuse their tongues, that one man shall not understand the language of his neighbor. And they did so unto them. So here's the confounding of the tongues. And from that day following, they forgot each man his neighbor's tongue, and they could not understand to speak to one another. And when the builder took from the hand of his neighbor lime or stone, which he did not order, the builder would cast it away and throw it upon his neighbor, and he would die. So basically they start fighting because nobody can understand what anybody else is doing. And they did so many days, and they killed many of them in this manner. And Yahweh smote the three divisions that were there, and he punished them according to their works and designs, according to their works. Those who said, We will ascend to heaven and serve our gods, became like apes and elephants. And those who said, We will smite the heavens with arrows, Yahweh killed them. One man through the hand of his neighbor. And the third division of those who said, We will ascend to heaven and fight against him, Yahweh scattered them throughout the whole earth. Now, did the apes and elephants go on to become the Buddhist Hindu gods? And I do a Google search for Hindu gods, an image search, and what do you know? You get some elephant tongue, elephant looking gods. You get some, let's see, where's this one? Ape looking gods, where's the one? There was one here that really looked like an ape. Or there, well, there's another elephant one. Okay, yeah, here's one that looks like an ape right here. So you got ape-looking gods. Here's another one. And then you got these ones that look like elephants. So come on, just if you just expand your mind a little bit, you start to realize this guy Nimrod and this stuff that happened in the scripture really explains how we got to be where we are in our world. These fallen angels were the, the gods of old. And this guy Nimrod was the guy after the flood who continued on this, this stuff and he spawned all these other religions that are really anti-Yahweh that go straight against the word. So let's move on. And those who, let, those who were left amongst them, when they knew and understood the evil which was coming upon them, they forsook the building and they became scattered on the face of the whole earth. And they ceased building the tower. Therefore he called the place Babel. And there... Yahweh confounded the languages of the whole earth. Behold, it was at the east, the land of Shinar. And as the tower which the sons of men built, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up one third part thereof, and also the fire descended from heaven and burned another third, and the other third is left to this day. And I looked and tried to find you know, remains of it, but apparently they're not there, although there is a very cool thing in Turkey called the Mount of Nimrod, which we're going to look at in a minute. And many of the sons of men died in that tower, a people without number. So lots of people died. Now we're going to skip chapter 10 because it's nothing but genealogy. And we're going to move on to chapter 11 in Jasher. Finally, Abram has his confrontation with the king. This is where the story gets really good. 40 minutes in. Thanks for hanging in there, guys. It's the longest video ever. And Nimrod, son of Cush, was still in the land of Shinar, and he reigned over it and dwelt there, and he built cities in the land of Shinar. And these are the names of the four cities which he built. And we're going to see how this matches up with Genesis. 
and he called their names after the occurrences that happened to them in the building of the tower. And he called the first Babel, saying, because Yahweh there confounded the language of the whole earth. And the name of the second he called Eric, because Erek, because from there God dispersed them. And then the third he called Echad, saying there was a great battle at that place. And the fourth he called Kalna, because his princes and mighty ones were consumed. You remember that one? And there they vexed the Lord, and they rebelled and transgressed against him. And we see how many times I missed fixing those. So when Nimrod had built these cities in the land of Shinar, he placed them in the remainder of his people. His princes and his mighty ones were left in his kingdom. And Nimrod dwelt in Babel, and he there renewed his reign over the rest of his subjects. And he reigned securely, and the subjects and princes of Nimrod called his name Amraphel, saying that at the tower his princes and all men fell through his means. And we see there he's getting another name. And the man of many names is Nimrod. And this little illustration here I got from Rob Skiba. And he's saying the names are Gilgamesh, Baal, Malkart, Adonis, Ashuman, Dumuzi, Dionysus, Bacchus, Orion, Marduk, Mithra, Ninurcha, Apollo, Ra, Osiris. So basically all the major gods of all those religions. And notwithstanding this, Nimrod did not return to Yahweh and then he continued in his wickedness and teaching wickedness to the sons of men. And we're going to see a sharp contrast here. And he caused the sons of man to sin, and therefore it is said, From the wicked goeth forth the wickedness. This is what we heard earlier. And in the fiftieth year of the life of Abram, son of Terah, Abram came forth from the house of Noah. Finally he decides to venture out of Noah's house and take care of business. And Abraham knew Yahweh, and he walked in his ways and instructions, and Yahweh, his Elohim, was with him. So here we have the contrast between Nimrod, who was wicked and taught everyone else to be wicked, and Abram, who walked in the ways and instructions of Yahweh. All right. And Terah was in those days still captain of the host of the kings of Nimrod, and he followed strange gods. And Abram came to his father's house and saw twelve gods standing there in their temples. Remember those twelve gods we heard about earlier? And the anger of Abram was kindled when he saw these images in his father's house. And Abram said, As Yahweh liveth, these images shall not reign in my father's house. So Yahweh, who created me, do unto me if in three days' time I do not break them all. And Abram went from them, and his anger burned with him. And Abram hastened and went from the chamber to his father's outer court, and he found his father sitting in the court and all his servants with him. And Abraham came and sat before him. He said, well, let me go talk to my dad about this. And Abraham asked his father, saying, Father, tell me where is God who created the heavens and earth and all the sons of men upon the earth, and who created thee and me? And Terah answered his son Abram and said, Behold, those who created us, are all with us in this house. And he's saying, yeah, we, we got these. We, these are the creators right here, these, these, these gods that I have here. And, and, and Abram said to his father, My Lord, show them to me, I pray thee. And Terah brought Abraham into the chamber of the inner court, and Abraham saw, and behold, the whole room was full of gods of wood and stone, twelve great images, and the others less than they, without number. So lots of little gods besides the big twelve. And what we're going to see here is that Abram, he goes about this in a very cunning way, a very, a very wise way. He doesn't just come out and try to say, well, this is wrong. He actually takes his father and the king through a series of revelations as he, you know, the way he, the way he brings this to them. And it's very, uh, very, very tactful. And Terah said to his son, behold, these are those which made all that thou seest. 
upon the earth, and which created me and thee and all mankind. And Terah bowed down to his gods, and then went away from them, and Abraham his son went away with them. And when Abram had gone from them, he went to his mother and sat before her and said to his mother, Behold, my father, show me those who made heaven and earth and all the sons of man. Now, therefore, hasten and fetch a kid from the flock and make of it a savory meat. Sounds like Jacob and Rebekah from Genesis, right? The, the way it was worded was almost exactly the same. That I may bring it to my father's gods and, and as an offering to them to eat. Perhaps I may therefore become accepted to them. And his mother did so, and she fetched a kid, and made a savory meat, therefore, and brought it to Abram. And Abraham took the savory meat from his mother, and brought it before his father's gods. And he drew nigh to them, and, and that they might eat. And Terah's father did not know of it. And Abraham saw on that day, when he was sitting amongst them, that they had no voice, no hearing, no motion, and they couldn't stretch forth their hands to eat. And Abram mocked them, and said, Surely the savory meat I prepared has not pleased them. Perhaps it was a little too, it was too little for them, or the reason they would not eat. Therefore, tomorrow I prepare even more. And more plentiful than this, in order they may see the result. And it, on the next day, Abraham directed his mother concerning the savory meat. And his mother rose and fetched three fine kids from the flock. And she made of them some excellent savory meat, such as her son was fond of. And she gave it to her son Abram. And Terah, his father, did not know of it. And Abraham took the, Abram took the savory meat from his mother and brought it therefore to his father's gods unto the chamber. And he came nigh unto them, which they might eat. And he placed it before them. And Abraham sat before them all day, thinking perhaps they might eat. And Abraham viewed them, and behold, they were neither voice nor hearing, nor did one of them stretch his hands to eat, hand to eat the meat. And in the evening of that day, in the house Abram was clothed with the Ruach spirit of Elohim. And in the evening of that day, in that house, Abram was clothed with the Ruach of Elohim. So the Holy Spirit came with him, and it's time to uh, take care of this problem once and for all. So he called out and said, Woe unto my father and this wicked generation, whose hearts are all inclined to vanity, who serve these idols of wood and stone, which can neither eat, smell, hear, nor speak, which have mouths without speech, eyes without sight, ears without hearing, hands without feeling, legs that cannot move. Like them are those made of them, and that trust in them. And when Abram saw all these things, his anger was kindled against his father, and he hastened and took a hatchet in his hand, and came into the chamber of the gods, and he broke all his father's gods. And when he had done when he had done breaking the images, he placed the hatchet in the hand of the great God, which was there before him, and he went out, and Terah his father came home, and for he had heard the door at the door the sound of the striking of the hatchet. So Terah came in the house to know what, what this was about. So apparently he heard him smashing stuff. And Terah, having heard the noise of the hatchet in the room of the images, ran to the room, and he met Abram going out, and Terah entered the room and found the idols fallen down and broken, and the hatchet was in the hand of the largest, which was not broken. And the savory meat which Abram his son had made was still there before them. Okay, so now we start to see that Abram actually set like a kind of a trap here, because you're going to see the one idol left with the hatchet and the meat, and the others all destroyed. And when Terah saw this, his anger was greatly kindled, and he hastened and went from the room to Abram. And he found Abram his son still sitting in the house, and he said to him, what is this thou? What is this work thou hast done to my gods? And Abraham answered Terah's father and said, Not so, my lord. All I did was bring the savory meat before them. And when I came nigh to them with the meat that they might eat, they all at once stretched forth their hands to eat before the great one had put forth his hand to eat. And the large one saw their works that they had did before him, and his anger was violently kindled against them. And he went and took the hatchet that was in the house, came to them, and broke them all. And behold, the hatchet is yet in his hand as thou seest. 
Terah's anger was kindled against his son Abram when he spoke this, and Terah said to Abram his son with anger, What is this tale that hast told? Thou speaketh lies to me. So he knows right there it's lies. Is there in these gods spirit, soul, or power to do all thou hast told me? Are they not wood and stone, and have I not myself made them? And canst thou speakest such lies, saying that the large God has then smote them? Is thou not the place? Is thou? Is it not thou that did, didst place the hatchet in the hands? And then they saith he smote them all. So his dad's saying, "Come on, man, I'm not buying this story. It was clearly you who set this whole thing up, thinking that you're gonna, you know, have a little fun day here to make your dad look silly." And Abraham answered his father and said unto him. And how canst thou then serve these idols, in whom there is no power or do anything? Can those idols in which thou trustest deliver thee? Can they hear thy prayers when thou dost call upon them? Can they deliver thee from the hands of thine enemies? Or will they fight the battles against thine enemies? That thou shouldest serve wood and stone, which can neither speak nor hear? Now surely it is not good for thee, nor for the sons of men that are connected with thee, to do these things. Are you so silly, so foolish, or so short of understanding that you will serve wood and stone and do after this manner? And here we have uh, my first picture that I'd like to show y'all of the Mount of Nimrod. This is in Turkey. Um, there's a ruins of this huge like shrine, basically, of Nimrod and his people. And there's this is what's left of it today. And as we go through here, there's going to be some more pictures of it. And this is just proof that the guy really was a god, really was a king, you know, and uh, thought of to be a god king. And um, there'll be some more pictures on the way, but let's continue with the story. Um, and forget. Uh, is it is so? Are you so short of understanding that you would? serve wood and stone after this manner and forget Yahweh the Elohim who made heaven and earth who created you in the earth and thereby bring a great evil upon your souls in this matter serving stone and wood did not our fathers in the days of old sin in this matter and I believe he's talking about pre-flood and the Lord God of the universe brought forth the waters of the flood upon them and destroyed the whole earth so yeah he was talking about pre-flood and how can you continue to do this and serve gods of wood and stone who cannot hear speak or deliver you from oppression therefore bringing down the anger anger of the god of the universe upon you now therefore my father refrain from this and bring not evil upon thy soul and the souls of this household and abraham hastened and sprang from before his father and took the hatchet of his father's largest idol from which abraham and broke it and ran away so he makes his point he breaks the last one and he gets out of there and Terah, seeing all that Abram had done, hastened to go down from his house. And he went to the king, and he came before Nimrod, and stood before him, and he bowed down to the king, and the king said, What dost thou want? So he not only gets shown up, but then he runs to, to Nimrod and says, You know, basically, what should I do? And he said, I beseech thee, my lord, to hear me. Now, fifty years back, a child was born to me, and thus has he done to my gods, and thus has he spoken. And now, therefore, my lord and king, send for him that he may come before thee and judge him according to the law that we may deliver be delivered from this evil and the king sent three men of his servants and they went and brought Abram before the king and Nimrod and his princes and servants were that day sitting before him and Terah sat also before them and the king said to Abram what is this that thou hast done to thy father and to his gods and Abraham answered the king in the words that he spoke to his father and he said the large God that was with them in the house did them to that what thou hast heard. 
So he, he get, sticks to his story, basically. And the king said to Abram, Hath they power to speak and eat and do as thou said? And Abraham answered the king, saying, If there be no power in them, why dost thou serve them and cause the sons of men to err in thy follies? Dost thou image that they can deliver thee or do anything small or great that thou shouldest serve them? And why wilt thou not sense the Elohim of the whole world who created thee and in whose power it is to kill and keep alive? O foolish, simple, and ignorant king, woe unto thee forever. So he just kind of mans up and tells him like it is. I thought thou wouldst teach thy servant the upright way, but thou hast not done this. But thou hast filled the whole earth with the sins and the sins of thy people who have followed thy ways. Dost thou not know, or hast thou not heard, that this evil which thou doeth, our ancestors sinned therein in the days of old, and the eternal Elohim brought the waters of the flood upon them and destroyed them all? Like, hello, didn't you hear the history? And also destroyed the whole earth on their account? And wilt thou and thy people rise up now and do like unto this work, in order to bring down the anger of, of the Lord God of the universe, to bring up evil upon thee and the whole earth? Now, therefore, put away this evil deed which thou doest, and serve the Elohim of the heavens as thou as thy soul in his hands is in his hands and then it will be well with thee so he witnesses to the king tells him that stuff you're doing is silly it brings destruction you need to serve Elohim of the heavens Yahweh and if thy wicked heart will not hearken to the words to cause thee to forsake the evil ways and to serve the eternal Elohim then wilt thou die in shame in the latter days thou thy people and all who are connected with thee hearing thy words and walking in thy evil ways and when Abraham had ceased speaking before the king and princes, Abraham lifted up his eyes to the heavens and said, The Lord seeth all the wicked, and he will judge them. So he puts the king in his place, basically. And uh, now for chapter 12, the final showdown. And when the king heard the words of Abraham, Abram, he ordered him to, put, to be put into prison, and Abraham was ten days in prison. And at the end of those days, the king ordered that all the king, princes, and governors of different provinces and sages should come before him. And they sat before him, and Abram was still in the house of confinement. And the king said unto the princes and sages, Have you heard what Abram the son of Terah has done to, this, to his father? Thus he hath done to him, and ordered him be brought before him. And thus he hath spoken. So he's telling him the story of what happened. His heart did not misgive him, neither did he stir in my presence. Like, he wasn't even scared of me, and I'm this huge king figure. Now, here's a picture of that same ruin that we saw earlier, an artist's rendition of what it would have looked like put together on the side of that hill. You know, the first one up here was like what it looks like nowadays with all the things being beheaded and their heads down below. But originally, this might have been what it looked like. And therefore, decide what judgment is due to this man who reviled the king, who spoke and did all the things that you heard. And they all answered the king, saying, The man who reviled the king should be hanged upon a tree, but having done all the things that he said, and having despised our gods, he must therefore be burned to death. For this is the law in this matter. So this is what they tell him to do. And if it pleases the king to do this, let him order his servants to kindle a fire both night and day in the brick furnace, and will cast him, this man into it. The king did so, and he commanded his servants that they should prepare a fire for, for three days and three nights, the king's furnace, that's in Kazdim. And the king ordered them to take Abram from prison and bring him to be burned. And all the king's servants, princes, lords, governors, and judges, and all the inhabitants of the land, about 900,000 men, stood opposite the furnace to see this happen, see Abram. And all the women and little ones crowded upon the roofs and towers to see what was going on with Abram. And they all stood together at a distance and there was not a man left that did not come on that day to behold the scene. 
And when Abram was come, the conjurers of the kings and the sages saw Abram, and they cried out to the king, saying, O sovereign Lord, surely this is the man whom we know to have been the child at whose birth the great star swallowed the four stars, which they declared the king now fifty years since. So they're starting to put the pieces together. And behold, now his father also transgressed thy commands and mocked thee by bringing thee another child, which thou didst kill. So now they're taking this story and figuring it out. And when the king heard their words, he was exceedingly wroth, and he ordered Terah to be brought before him. And the king said, Hast thou heard what the conjurers have spoken? Now tell me truly, how didst thou? And if thou speak the truth, thou shalt be acquitted. Now here's some more pictures of that. Some more close-up pictures of different angles of those different heads and the the, uh, the Mount of Nimrod in Turkey. And seeing that the king anger was so much kindled, Terah said to the king, My lord and king, thou hast heard the truth, and what the sages have spoken is right. And the king said, How couldst thou do this thing, to transgress my orders, and give me a child that thou dost not begat, and take value for him? And Terah answered the king, Because my tender feelings were, were excited for my son at the time, and I took the son of my handmaid and brought him to the king. And the king said, Who advised thee to do this? Tell me to not hide aught from me, that thou should not die. And Terah was greatly terrified of the king's presence, and he said to the king, It was Haran, my eldest son, who advised me. And Haran was in those days that Abram was born, two and thirty years old. But Haran did not advise a father to do anything, for Terah said this to the king in order to deliver his own soul from the king, for he feared greatly, and the king said to Terah, Haran, my son, who advised thee to do this, shall die through the fire with Abram. So he basically gives up his other kid to save his own butt. For the sentence of death is upon him for having rebelled against the king, desire for doing this thing. Here's another awesome picture of that Mount of Nimrod in Turkey. And Haran, at the time, felt inclined to follow the ways of Abram, but he kept it with himself. And Haran, so he, 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 he took a moment to think there, maybe I should give my life to Yahweh and follow Abram, but he decided not to. And Haran said in his heart, Behold now, the king has seized Abram on account of these things which Abram did, and it shall come to pass that if Abram prevail over the king, I will follow him, but if the king prevail, I will go after the king. So here we find that Haran is a fence-sitter. He's like one of these lukewarm fence-sitting believers who says, well, let me just see how this thing plays out. If, you know, if the Messiah returns, well, then I'll believe in the Messiah. But if the aliens show up, well, then I believe it's the ancient alien story and the Bible's a bunch of baloney. What do you know? There's nothing new under the sun here. And when Terah had spoken to this to the king concerning Haran his son, the king ordered Haran to be seized with Abram. And they brought them both, Abram and Haran his brother, and cast them into the fire. And all the inhabitants of the land and the king's servants and princes and all the women and little ones were there, standing that day over them. And the king's servants took Abram his brother and they stripped him of all their clothes except their lower garments which were upon them. And they bound their hands and feet with linen cords and servants of the king lifted them up and cast them both in the furnace. And Yahweh loved Abram, and he had compassion over him. And Yahweh came down and delivered Abram from the fire, and he was not burned. Here's a picture of some normal people standing by one of those things. Just to give you an idea of scale. So if we go back to this one rendition here. So you could basically stand on one of these guys' shoulders, and you wouldn't even be higher than taller than the head. So these are really massively huge statues that are still left there. But all the cords which they were bound with were burned, and while Abram remained, and he walked about in the fire. Wow, sounds kind of like Daniel in the lion's den, or um, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the ones that are in the, the uh, are also cast into the furnace. And Abram, 
Oh, and Haran died when they cast him in the fire, and he was burned to ashes, and his heart was not perfect with Yahweh. So I guess he didn't get to go, or, you know, he, he, when he gets raised up at the end, he'll probably have to go on the side of the goats. And those men who cast him in the fire, the flame of the fire spread over them, and they were burned. Him, walked in the midst of the fire three days and three nights. And all the servants of the king saw him walking in the fire, and they came and told the king, saying, Behold, we have seen Abram walking about in the midst of the fire, and even the lower garments which upon him, which were upon him are not burned. But the cords which were he was bound is burned. And when the king heard their words, his heart fainted, and he would not believe them. So he sent other faithful princes to see this matter, and they went and saw it, and told the king, and the king rose up to go forth to see it. And when Abraham walked to and fro in the midst of the fire, he saw Haran's body burn, and the king wondered greatly. And the king ordered Abram to be taken out of the fire, and his servants approached him to take him out, and they could not. For the fire was round about, and the flame ascended towards them from the furnace. And the king's servants fled from it, and the king rebuked them, saying, Make haste, and bring Abram out of the fire, that you shall not die. So they were like, Fine. The servants of the king approached to bring Abram out, and the flames came up upon them and burned their faces, so that eight of them died. So eight more died. So this is becoming a real bloody affair for the king here. And when the king saw that his servants could not approach the fire, lest they should be burned, the king called to Abram, O servant of Elohim, who is in heaven, go forth from amidst the fire and come hither before me. So it wasn't until he finally asks in a nice way and in a proper way to come on out. And Abram hearkened to the voice of the king, and he went forth from the fire and came and stood before him. And when Abram came out to the king, and all his servants saw Abram coming before the king with his lower garments upon him, for they were not burned, but the cord which was which he was bound was burned. So and I was trying to find a picture of a guy coming out of the fire with just shorts on, and that's about the best one I could find. The king said to Abram, How is it thou wast not burned in the fire? And Abram said to the king, The Elohim of heaven and earth, in whom I trust, and who is and who has all in his power, he delivered me from the fire, into which thou didst cast me. And Haran the brother of Abram was burned to ashes, and they sought for his body, and they found it consumed. And Haran was eighty-two years old when he died in the fire of Kazdan, and the king's princes and inhabitants of the land Seeing that Abram was delivered from the fire, they came and bowed down to Abram. And Abram said to them, Do not bow down to me, but bow down to the Elohim of the world who made you, and serve him, and go in his ways, for it is he who delivered me out of the fire, and it is he who created the souls and spirits of all men, and formed man in his mother's womb, and brought him forth into the world, and it is he who will deliver those who trust him from all pain. So he does what's right, he gives all the glory to the Father in heaven, not his own works. And this thing seemed very wonderful in the eyes of the king and princes. And Abram was saved from the fire, and that Haran was burned. So they were astounded, and they were like, that seemed very crazy and wonderful that this could happen. And so the king gave Abram many presents, and he gave him his two head two servants from the king's house. And the name of one was Oni, and the name of the other was Eleazar. And all the king's princes and servants gave Abram many gifts of silver and gold and pearl. And the king and his princes sent him away, and he went in peace. So they basically were like, you know what? This guy has a much more powerful Elohim than we have. We better just pay him off and get him out of here before he brings wrath upon us. And Abram went forth from the king in peace. And many of the king's servants followed him. And about 300 men joined him. Joined him. And Abram returned on that day and went to his father's house, he and the men that followed him. And Abram served Yahweh as Elohim all the days of his life. And he walked in his ways and followed his Torah. And from that day forward, Abram inclined the hearts of the sons, the hearts of, the sons of men to serve Yahweh. So there you have it. Uh, I realize that was a really long video, but a really awesome confrontation there.
between Abram and Nimrod, a lot of information on Nimrod, uh, and if you had never read the book of Jasher, probably a story you've never heard. Uh, if you stuck with me this whole way to watch this whole thing, I'd like to thank you. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, click subscribe. Make some comments if you like. If you have any, you know, anything you want to talk about with this, just let me know. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. Shalom.